Hello again. Welcome to uh, Permission Granted. My name is Michael Hubbard. This is my good buddy, Gary Goodell. Hey. And um, just a couple of church guys talking about the church and the new season we're in. I think it's a new season, Gary, don't you? Yeah. There's a lot happening in the world, but uh, I think challenges always bring opportunity. Got it. It's a matter of perception. So anyway, we're gonna, a lot of our conversation is going to be around this book, Permission Granted, um, to do church differently in the 21st century. A lot of people are asking, what's the purpose of the church, the value of the church, society is. In many places, the church has been pushed to the background, but I believe the church is pertinent, it's needed, and it needs to find its uh, identity again and um, come into fullness. So anyway, Garrett, just a quick comment on this. Uh, you got a guy named Graham Cook that helped you write this. Tell us that story. Well, we were already full on into experimenting with different ways of doing church when I met Graham. And uh, he aligned with us as a friend, as a prophetic voice. Right. And then um, interesting story when I was contacted to do a full manuscript of the book, they asked me to submit it to Graham for a foreword. Right. So I went and had coffee with Graham. He's up in Central California. And I said, Graham, I need a favor. I'd like you to write a foreword for my book. And he said, no. <laughs> and I said, huh? With a British accent. Yeah, I said, huh? He goes, yeah. I don't want to, I'll, I'll write your foreword, but I don't want to just do the foreword. I want to, I want to write the book with you. Mm. And so we merged some of Graham's classic teachings on transition mm -hmm. and what I had brought to the plate on doing church differently. So that's how it all got going. Now, it didn't take you long to say yes to Graham, I suppose, because no. you understand his his understanding of transition. What, what was it that you knew that he would bring to the project, what he carries? Well, what I, what I think Graham carries is a real cryptic approach to transition. Classic, the transition needs to happen inside of you. <laughs> before you try to take your church into transition. Right, right. So spending time with him for these last number of years has kind of enveloped his philosophy, his teaching. And um, so it's been, it's been almost, um, besides being a godsend, he's become a great friend of Third Day Churches. Right. You thought just made me think, I've, as I, I've been reviewing the book, obviously I've read it a couple of times, and, um, but I wrote down here, and this kind of captures some of the thinking. You just mentioned it. Crisis is an opportunity to transition and to transformation to go from what I call victimhood to, to conquerors. So Graham, his, the um, introduction that Graham wrote and leads to the next couple of chapters. It's all about transition. Right. It's all about the need. And you just said it. It starts internally. And, you know, Gary, I, I know with my work with pastors um, in churches, first thing I try to, I, I know I've needed to learn how flexible is the leader. Okay. Because if the leader's not going to change, um, you're not going to get very far. And the people can't change. So leadership starts with leadership top down. What's been your experience with that? Totally. I believe this pandemic is another pause. It's another pause, which Graham would call a crisis, to actually reconsider the future. I ask a question of pastors, traveled all over the world doing leadership training, 
I would often ask the pastor when we got alone, if you couldn't fail, how would you do church differently? And to get him thinking outside, and in all due respect to everything we do in church, most of the activities or the protocol or the liturgy is born out of human tradition, which is impacted by culture. But what's always is fed by the great concept that change requires risk. Um, <laughs> have an old friend that used to say, that's how you spell faith, R-I-S-K. <laughs> so if you're not willing to take risks, you're never going to change. Yeah, yeah. There's an old proverb of three frogs set on a log and they all decided to jump. How many were left? And the answer is all three. They decided to jump, but they never jumped. See, I think that's a fascinating concept here because most people I know, and you do, we come out of seminary or we go through the ranks and we start our first church and we have these big visions. We're going to be the next Billy Graham, next, next mega church. You know, whatever your dream. And we're filled with enthusiasm. We're excited. And five, ten years into it, many people lose steam. And what are the, what are the numbers on pastors who started and don't finish? Yeah. It's pretty tragic. Well, not only is it tragic, I think it's unfortunate. And I'm going to bump into a lot of old wineskins when I say this. That what you do in the meeting, most of those things are not sacred. I mean, there are three examples, what I call the Jerusalem Model Acts 2. It's not a script. It's not a play. It's not a production. It's how they just started. They ate together. They prayed for the sick. They walked through the, through the story of Jesus. And then there's the Jerusalem model. Then there's the Corinthian model, 1 Corinthians 14, 26. How is it, brethren? And when you come together, every one of you has a contribution. And then there's the universal model in Hebrews chapter 10. Knowing you're coming together, don't forsake provoking one another to good works. Don't forsake coming together. So those are the only things the Bible says. I mean, 80% of the equation is get together. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Tell the story of Jesus. Break bread together. I think someone's described there's only two things Jesus told us to do. The Great Commission, go make disciples. And communion. Mm -hmm. As often as you do this, you do show to the Lord's death till he come. Well, that would fit with love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. Go make disciples of nations. Well, and then the big question is asked, why do we need to gather in a building on Sunday as though that is church? Rather so what you're saying is some of these traditions have uh, maybe brought about a frustration, a staleness, for some guys that just feel like I'm just feel like I'm doing the same thing over. Right, right. Let me speak to this too, because we've talked about this. I call it the one-dimensional expression of a churchman. You know, you, you, we go to these meetings and everybody's a pastor. Right. And you know what I found out after 20 years of pastoring? I'm not a pastor. Okay. <laughs> that only took me 20 years. Well. But I, I find so many brothers and sisters who have they've been pigeonholed because this is how we do church. This is how. You have to do it almost, you know, to make a living. That ties into some of this. And a frustration began to build up. 
you know, I, I, we're similar to this. We love the Sunday gathering, love the preaching of the Word of God, love the worship, the dynamics of that, and get pretty bored through the rest of the week. I mean, I know how to marriage counsel. I'd actually probably be pretty good at it, but the last thing on my list to do is I want to find other people who can do that. Right, right. It's not my favorite thing. So I, I went through a process of realizing I'm doing a lot of stuff I really don't have passion for, and that's where I began to realize I need to raise people up around me who can fill those spots. But I had to come to a frustration point. Even my church came to a frustration point. Sure. So speak to that yeah, a little right. bit. Well, you know what? Um, let's get down and dirty and realize that the package that Jesus gave the church in Ephesians 4 is the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. There's nothing in Scripture which indicates one man teaches all. Hmm. So that single head... Uh, and I, for a for a while, for about five or six years, I quote left the pastorate and became a campus pastor at a denominational Bible college or seminary. And I would say to my young students, day one, we're starting with a problem. We have a Hebrew book in a Greek world, hmm. and think of how we set up the meeting. Chairs pointed the same way to the platform to listen. To to 20 minutes or 45 minutes of the talking head. Mm -hmm. And that kind of frustration pushes you. But if you're not willing to take risks to stop doing some things and experiment with trying doing, to do some things, change is not going to happen. So let me speak to that too, because I think for some people, they may feel confused that you know, you're against that gathering. And I would add that... Um, I'm against that being the only way you gather. I think it's legitimate. You know, we, we've had Graham come in numerous times, and we give him the pulpit, and he'll speak for two hours. So we're not opposed to a setup like that where we're going to get teaching from what we'd call a, a, you know, a prophet to the church. But to do church every week that way, we got to ask ourselves the question, are we being, and that's, I think that's what you're getting at. It's, we're not saying that's wrong to do that. We're just saying we've made that the predominant, the on, for some people, the only way to meet. Well, and again, the package is for what? The scripture says that the purpose of these gifts given to the church are to equip the saints, the people in the pew, for their ministry. Right. So, horrible indictment that the average person that attends church is only there for two reasons. To pay the mortgage and accentuate or further the vision of the pastoral staff. Right, right. The saints need to do what God's called them to do. Every day we're living among the world, we're going, working with unbelievers. If that isn't a part of the vision of the church, then the church is going to get bored. So talk about, a little bit, Gary, about your process. When you hit that, and what were some of the challenges I mean, there was not only the, and you're a risk taker, so I, I, you know, we relate that way. Change comes more natural to us, but you know, sometimes our wives are more reluctant. They're more yeah. relational. Our, our board members, church members. What were some of the changes, challenges you had of having to lead people into that, or at least to start thinking that way? Well, one of the first things I did was I taught repetitively on community. 
How do we become community? Mm -hmm. Who are you in community with? Not what church you go to. There's over 2,000 in San Diego County. It's not where you go to have the meeting, but who do you walk with on a daily basis? And we've laughed. We had more successful meetings at St. Arbuck's (laughs) than we did in the rented hall that we used to celebrate in. And that's all of it. All, All it was, Mike, is a willingness to look at what we're doing and to ask the question, could we make disciples more effectively if we integrated other modalities, other forms, other venues? And so my life has been spent, I'm 73 years old, my life has been spent on doing church differently around the world. Mm-hmm. One of the things that stuck for me is um, this principle of the law of association. What's the first thing, first word that comes to mind when I say? And my reality was I could ask any Western crowd, even some second, third world country crowds, what happens when it, what comes to mind when I say church? 90% of the people that I know say building. Hmm. I was in a conference in Africa and I said, what comes to mind when I say church? And a guy from the back said, tree. <laughs> and I found out that he had spent much of his childhood under a large tree having Sunday school. <laughs> so where we go, how often we go, that can change. Yeah. What we do when we gather, I think it's just more cultural than we are willing to admit. So what you're saying is it's what's going on Monday through Saturday. Yeah. And one of our values that we've talked about is we want to be relational. Relational church. It's it's the eye contact. It's the face-to-face. Um, we talk about the one another's. Who do you do your one another's with? Exactly. We can exactly. walk into Sunday church and uh, shake a few hands, meet some people. And if we've been there for a while, we have some friends, we go out to lunch afterwards. But many people go and they come and go and they never really connect. And uh, maybe it doesn't happen for them on Sunday, but where is it happening? Where do you take your prayer burdens? Where do you take your concerns, your worries, your doubts? When your kids are struggling, who do you talk to? And we can't all talk to the pastor. And that, that speaks to the fact that many pastors get burned out trying to be that for everybody. Exactly. Yeah, we've made the pastor... One gift fits all. And I I think it's a sad orientation on the masses of people that are unemployed (laughs) and the pastoral staff on the stage who were working their you-know-what's-off to make church work for them. So here's what it starts with me, for me, Mike. It is a willingness to ask the hard questions. And... Let's let's be very candid and very honest. Most of it in professional pastoral ministry is related to money. Yeah. Well, that's that's another topic. That's a big one right there. Listen, um, a lot of these conversations we're doing are contained in this book, Permission Granted to Do Church Differently in the 21st Century. You can get this book on our website, thirddaychurches.com. We also invite you into the conversation. Um, There's a place on our website we can ask us questions. We'd love to get some feedback from all of you out there listening. And uh, hope you've enjoyed this time. We'll be back again. It's my friend Gary Goodell and myself, Michael Hubbard. God bless you.